Hi, welcome to episode very number one of Max and Josh's Jazz Podcast. My name is Josh Howe, and I play jazz accordion and keyboards. And I am Max Holmberg, and I play jazz drums and percussion. We're going to be spending a little bit of time today talking about what records we've been listening to lately. As well as things we've been practicing individually. And a little bit about what's on the scene in Seattle. Shows, jams, festivals, CD release parties, whatever. So Max and I have two different records we want to talk about today that we've been listening to lately. And the first one is Cannonball Adderley's Fiddler on the Roof, released in 1964. So he's doing a little bit of reading on the internet and also the liner notes. And it turns out, even though the uh, musical that it was based on called Fiddler on the Roof, which, by the way, won like nine Tonys, apparently. Holy cow. It came out in uh, September of 1964. And this album came out in October or was recorded in October of 1964. Cannonball somehow, apparently, finagled his way into getting a pre-screening of just the audio or listened to the soundtrack beforehand, picked a bunch of his favorite tunes, and then uh, went to the studio right away to record them. That's a smart move. Yeah, it is. Um, So the funny thing is, though, some of the ones that he picked ended up getting deleted from the Broadway run. So there's some tracks on here, like, I think, uh, The Sewing Machine was on Cannonball's record, but it wasn't actually in the musical. And there were a couple, or there was another one that was taken out of the musical, but later on put back into the movie that he also recorded. Yeah, it seems like there were quite a few songs that didn't line up there, actually, looking at both track lists. Yeah, uh, the other thing that's uh, really interesting, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, too, is that um, the there were uh, three different studio dates, and the bulk of the album was recorded on October 19th and 21st. And the last four tracks, which were only released on the CD re-release, uh, the reprint, uh, were recorded a month before, September 8th, 1964. Hmm. So the most of the album uh, consists of tracks that were from the musical, but the last four were not. Um, there were a, like a tune by Nat Adderley, two by Charles Lloyd, another one by, I think, Andre Previn. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and I think, personally, that the, the album feels really, really different. Um, from those four tracks, between those four tracks and the rest of the album. When was the the re-release released? Uh, That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I was reading somewhere, again, on the internet, that it was a CD re-release. So whenever they did the CD, uh, so um, of course it was originally released on vinyl and only had the Fiddler on the Roof tunes. Hmm. I wonder how they thought about not having uh, track lists that lined up between the album and the uh, actual fiddler on the roof right well i mean it was i don't think it was ever meant to be like the jazz musical or whatever it was just yeah uh, yeah doing selections from that really honestly in the vein i think of a lot of jazz standards that pull from like lawrence and hart or rogers and kind of musicals so yeah uh so max what do you think about the record i really liked it there was some um really cool drum work going on Lewis Hayes is awesome um, with his toms. I like how he tuned them as well. Uh, I think it was the first track. I don't have the track list pulled up, but... Um, the, yeah, the Fiddler on the Roof theme. Yeah, he was playing... Um, it's almost like a Poinciana kind of sound. Mm, yeah. But it was... Who's on the Poinciana record? Uh, let's see. So that's Ahmad Jamal. That's um, Israel Crosby on bass and Vernel Fournier on drums. Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a really cool sound. And actually, uh, which reminds me, we should probably talk about who's on this record. So Cannonball Adderley, of course, on alto saxophone. His brother, Nat Adderley, on cornet and trumpet. And, what a bad dude. Yep. And Charles Lloyd on tenor and flute. Joe Zawinul on piano, which is really interesting. Uh, Sam Jones on bass and Louis Hayes on drums. Yeah, that, that was his band for quite a while, I think. I'm not sure how long. Yeah, but. not on something else, though. I was looking a little later. It was just a completely different lineup on something else. What's the lineup on that one again? I don't know off the top of my head and i have to look it up you listeners can look it up on wikipedia (laughs) cool so can we uh yeah so i guess a couple overall impressions of the album from me i really like uh the way they um did arrangements on this one i think they yeah uh they didn't just fall back on the default, like, oh, all the horns play the melody on the head in, a bunch of people play solos, and then the head out. They really play with that. They're not afraid to cut people out of certain tracks or only have, like, there's one track, uh, I can't remember which one it is. I think it's the second one to life, where uh, Nat just plays the uh, plays the trumpet with the mute in it, um, and he plays the head in and he plays the head out. He doesn't solo, only cannonball solos, and you don't even hear Charles Lloyd play. And they're just mm-hmm. not afraid to play with different textures like that. Uh, and I really like that about the record. Well, I think a lot of times when you're playing songs that are about a very specific thing or from a from a specific movie or play or, mm-hmm. or whatever, um, the melody is almost all you need because it, it represents something that so many people are familiar with, especially if it's like from a strong part of, of whatever it's from. Um, I wonder if people would have been extra familiar with it then, though, because the record came out a month after the musical came out. And I'm going to assume that more people will have had a chance to listen to the record than the musical, especially right when it was released. Well, it could be a thing that'll gain recognition over time, too. That's true. Uh, Yeah. And I wonder how much is that from a particularly important part of the musical? I actually haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, uh, most of these tracks were uh, are very recognizable recognizable tunes that are important parts of the musical. Mm-hmm. The the only ones that were less important were ones that got deleted from the musical and just <laughs> weren't there anyway. Uh, it's it's a great musical. Yeah, uh, I, there I was a the it. film version came out in seventy two and that that was uh, an amazing film too. Cool, definitely something I need to check out. Yeah, uh, let's see. There were let's see. Just taking a look at my notes uh, to see what else. Um, yeah, the arrangements also use uh, a lot of counterpoint, and the horns and the piano are kind of playing against each other. Mm-hmm. There's another track where I think, let's see, Havala, I think, yeah, where Charles Lloyd is playing the melody on flute, and um, that one's awesome. Yeah, I like that track. And a lot. Cannonballs on the alto, just kind of weaving little improvised lines around it or not even just like at the end of a phrase or at long tones or something like that. It's just kind of constant. It really reminds me of how clarinets work in trad jazz. Was that the one that uh, I thought was a flamenco song form? Oh, or a bolero you mentioned earlier. I honestly wish I knew enough about flamenco rhythms to know what it was or, or song forms as well, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it's, uh based on one of those yeah well i I do know that there was um a snare marchi type of thing at the beginning that reminded me of ravel's bolero it's also yeah it's the actual song form though too and Mm, um mm -hmm. yeah i really wish i knew more about that i'm gonna have to do some research cool well all in all great record um classic cannonball elderly definitely worth checking out oh yeah 
All right. So I was down at a jam session last night, and one of my fellow drummers here in Seattle asked me uh, what I've been listening to. And he mentioned that a lot of people nowadays uh, seem to um, play music that you can listen to and then forget about maybe the next day or, or even a week later or whatever. And it doesn't stick with you as long as a lot of the classic records. Mm. And he asked if I had heard anything recently uh, that stuck with me that I had been listening to over and over and wanted to kind of listen to deeper. And um, I immediately thought of this record that I have been listening to over and over because it's amazing. And that record is called Tipico. um, And it's by Miguel Zenon, saxophonist extraordinaire from Puerto Rico. Yeah, uh, I was looking up his uh, biography in preparation for recording this podcast, and I guess he graduated Berkeley in 96, uh, Manhattan School of Music in 2001. He's won, uh, he's had multiple Grammy and Latin Grammy nominations, and he got a MacArthur Fellowship, also known as the Genius Grant, in 2008. Uh, who's on this record? So there is a genius band on this record, and actually these guys have been working together for more than 15 years as a band, That's which is also something that you don't see very often today um, in the jazz world, especially. Um, Things have kind of been getting more and more fragmented, it seems like, with Mm -hmm. hired hands and whatnot. But this band has been together as a band. They're insanely good. Um, So we have Miguel Zinon, of course, on alto sax, Luis Perdomo on piano, Hans Glash, oh boy, Glauschnig on bass. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Sorry, Hans. Um, He's Austrian and, and neither of us speak German. <laughs> so, and Henry Cole on the drums, who is just an amazing drummer, if I may say so myself. Cool. Yeah, uh, I love this record. It was really cool. It went to uh, a lot of different places that require so many listenings to really actually understand. And I've listened to this record like maybe four or five times now all the way through. And I, there's still so much uh, to excavate out of it that I don't understand. I uh, was, yeah, I'm just blown away by the amazing alto tone, just like not even the yeah. notes he's playing, but the tone that he gets. Well, and also the intentionality behind uh-huh. each note and every uh, compositionally too. Right. Like the intentionality behind all of it. And from his bio on Wikipedia, he, I guess spent a bunch of time studying classical saxophone when he was younger, which makes a lot of sense. Sure does, given yeah. the way he, his, his tone for like long notes and the way he articulates the way he plays time. It's a uh, very classical precision feel in my mind. I think all the band members have that, that precision in their playing for sure. Yeah. It would make sense to me that he would choose people like that to fit uh, yeah. the way he uh, the way he thinks about music. You kind of have to in order to play a lot of these songs. Uh-huh. They're, um, yeah, the first time I listened to this record, I, I don't remember who showed it to me, but I was just completely transfixed from the get-go. And normally, I mean, I actually went to Berkeley as well, um, and normally when I listen to records, my, um, my first uh, thought is that I should be trying to figure out what's going on. Um, but when I heard this, I just wanted to, to listen and enjoy it because it was so, mm-hmm. it was just this kind of, this kind of music that I'd, I'd never really heard before, at least with its intentionality and, and such behind it. It's, yeah, I also found it really easy to just kind of let it wash over me and uh, experience it as a whole without needing to dissect it. And then when I tried to, there's <laughs> a lot going on and... It's yeah, this is difficult to piece apart. Definitely some of the most complicated music that you can 
sort of call jazz that I've ever heard. Um, Definitely. Like the, the first track, right? Academia. He, the piano starts out with this like clave-ish pattern that's in five, I think. And then... Ten-ish, I think. Five, but five, ten. ten. You're yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, yeah, he does that. And then uh, all these other instruments start coming in. They layer on. And then they start going other places. And time signatures, like, in a lot of these tracks seem to be constantly switching around and switching around or metric modulation or kind of uh, bouncing off of a pulse with different signatures and Mm -hmm. all kinds of crazy things. Yeah. The solos are enormous on this. And totally fluid. Yeah. They sound, they sound easy. Like, uh, the piano, especially like a bunch of the piano solos, would just play these oh, crazy man. fast runs, but they never sounded like they were uh, forced or like super or even super high energy. Yeah. They were just very light, feathery. Like, well, everything is incredibly lyrical. Yeah, on on all Definitely. of these songs, it's all again very intentional and very lyrical. And it's just normally when you hear music this complicated, uh, it makes you want to stop and figure out what's going on because it sounds complicated. Right. But this actually sounds totally listenable, even though it's really complicated. Mm-hmm. When you start listening more deeply, you're like, wait, what's actually going on here? This is nuts, but it just sounds so good that yeah, I don't for sure. Yeah. I, I like how too that a lot of the tracks feel like they have uh, movements almost yeah. like they would uh, come in with the in head and with a certain feel or the intro rather with a certain feel then the then the the in head would be a different feel and then the solo sections would even move between large scale feels and then sometimes not even go back to what they were before and well, they're just okay with that which is really cool yeah see. and that, i think a lot of that comes from um a lot of the song form traditions of that part mm-hmm. of the world mm-hmm. i mean puerto rico and that general area that makes sense because a lot of those have progressions that have different rhythmic sections different harmonic parts and such right but they never even different tempos actually but they don't um necessarily come back to where they started Mm -hmm. they just kind of have this progression that goes somewhere totally different at the end yeah i've definitely heard like ah let's see which one was it i um one of these things typico i think yeah the piano starts out with this thing that sounds a lot like a montuno from afro-cuban stuff but like the time signature is kind of messed up a little it's like not exactly (laughs) the same and then they kind of go in and out of that. I I really like that track, especially. Uh, but it, on the other ones, too, they seem to really flirt with almost these different song forms that you're alluding to. And but never really just go all, like, stay there. Yeah. Like, well, and also, it's not just from that part of the world. I mean, there are, all of these musicians have to be so well-versed in so many different kinds of music to be able to play this stuff because mm-hmm. all these different styles are being pulled from. I mean, there's... Everything from like smash rock to some slow swing to, I mean, of course, lots of different various kinds of Afro-Cuban rhythms and such. But there are so many different things these guys are all pulling from uh, to make this sound as good as it does. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, I think we're at time. So that's it's an amazing album. It, yeah. Great album. Please check it. Oh, right. Definitely need to mention, uh, it just got nominated for a uh, Best Latin Jazz Album Grammy. And it should. We will see who wins. Hopefully yep. this one. Okay, so this next section is, what are we working on? So, Max, what have you been spending your time on in the practice room these days? Well, uh, the two things I've been spending most of my time on are composition 
actually, and uh, mm-hmm. on the drum set, uh, kind of going back over the, some of the things I studied in college, um, just kind of uh, vo- pieces of vo- vocab okay. from various drummers and even some stuff I, I invented on my own that I wrote down. Cool. Just kind of trying to bring that back into my playing. I see. Uh, where do you get these pieces of vocab that you're talking about? Are they from transcriptions that you're like working back into your playing? or? Yeah, so um, several of them are from transcriptions. Um, some of them are things that some of my professors and whatever mm-hmm. kind of came up with. Um, oftentimes, they're, they're technique-based things that you can use to, you know, make larger lines and whatever when you're actually playing um essentially back to basics sure in what, a sense what kind of things do you do to get it um i guess re-injected into your playing um i will practice them over and over in uh various places so i'll, I'll displace them sure. when i'm playing them so i can start mm-hmm. these little pieces of of phrases or whatever in any part of the measure sure any part of the beat mm-hmm. uh, and then i'll practice stringing things together um so maybe two little things i've been practicing i might put back to back and then practice that displaced several places and cool kind of work on feeling that over different time signatures sure. sometimes and until it feels totally effortless yep and i'll come back to it after a few days and it's usually easier to play these things too yeah if it takes some time off cool and what have you been working on composition-wise? You mentioned that you were doing that too. Well, actually, I wanted to ask you this question right, because sure. I've been trying to write some more songs. Um, but I, up until this point, when I've been writing music, it's mainly when I have a very strong idea that comes from an actual experience or uh, emotion or something like that mm-hmm. that kind of makes me write music. But I've tried working with deadlines to write songs, and it's a lot more difficult for me. Mm. I was actually wondering if you had any strategies for um, kind of getting that done, but also keeping it creative. Sure. Yeah. And meaningful. Um, there's a, a pianist friend of mine that you know also too, uh, Sean Schlogel, and I have been... Oh, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he writes a lot and he's a great writer. Um, and so we've actually been training compositions every two oh, weeks or so. cool. And with the understanding that they can be unfinished. They don't have to be polished. We're not going to show anybody else our unfinished work. And it's just, uh, it's been really good to uh, give me a kick in the pants, honestly, to make me think that like, <laughs> Oh no, two weeks is coming. I have, I have to write something to send to Sean. I haven't done that yet. So then, then I sent it to him and that's uh, been really helpful in getting a habit of writing regularly. You know, going. A lot of his songs are very funny. I, I, I play with him in a, a trio sitting fairly frequently and, it seems like a lot of them are are based on puns. <laughs> the names are kind. Uh, the <laughs> names and and also the songs in, in some ways. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just really good writing. I, I really like uh, oh, those yeah. types of uh, type of stuff that he writes. And he's been also been uh, been really helpful in giving me some really good feedback on the types of stuff that I've been working to. Nice. Uh, so yeah, that's been really nice. That's a good idea. Yeah. So um, finding some data. Uh, <laughs> share that accountability with has been really helpful for me do you write on the keyboard or the um accordion or the whatever else you play or uh yeah good question (laughs) um in the past i wrote mostly on the piano uh with just pencil and paper lately i've been playing with a daw digital audio workstation and using a midi controller to write out different parts so i can hear the arrangements Mm -hmm. that i'm working on as Mm -hmm. i'm working on them although um 
I just have all the stock patches and it doesn't really have a great accordion sound. So I usually sub in like a synth or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you might write some cool, I know you play accordion very well and it might sound kind of interesting if you use that as a, as a tool to write music like from. Right. Uh, I guess I haven't really actually ever done that. Uh, mostly because like there's a giant thing sitting in my lap and it's kind of awkward to write with my hands uh, on a makes piece sense. of paper makes sense. with something in the way. So I end up using a keyboard because it's just freer to move around. Although yeah. oftentimes as I'm writing, I definitely do have the accordion sound in my head uh, as I'm writing what I'm writing. Huh. Well, what have you been working on? Cool. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things. So um, I've got a gig uh, later this week that I'm playing with just accordion and two horns, which is oh, not something that, that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not something that I've ever had the chance to do before. Uh, so I've been working on writing horn backgrounds uh, for just different standards that I want to play the melody on and feel like a rock star with a big horn section behind me, which is really just two other people. But, you know, what have me... you been listening to to get inspiration for how to write those backgrounds? Uh, another good question. So, yeah, uh, horn backgrounds is uh, not something that I've spent a lot of time writing uh, before. So it's uh, fairly new. I've been listening to big band music. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I'm working on this one chart for on the sunny side of the street. Um and I just started to try writing it and was having trouble. I was like, all right, let's let's go listen to somebody who knows who knows what they're doing. <laughs> so I found like some Tommy Dorsey big band record playing that and uh, transcribed parts, bits and pieces of it, stole some of it and then um, wrote some of my own stuff surrounding it. You said so, accordion and two horns. Yeah. So that's accordion, a little bit different than a big band. It is. That's <laughs> true. Right. Uh, but elements of it are still the same right because you have like so in this case we've got a trumpet and a saxophone and um a single saxophone can play the lines albeit unharmonized of the whole sax section and the trumpet can play uh the trumpet type hits so uh, lifting ideas from that um those kinds of sections and then uh if there's a singer in this case i think uh it was the piano playing the melody i don't really remember at this point but um yeah so essentially the accordion is the whole rhythm section right and then but you can i feel like you could use uh that that instrumentation to kind of toss around various roles Mm -hmm. at least traditional roles yep in a pretty cool way yeah and it's something that i'm exploring too like for some of the charts i've been working on i'll have uh, i'll play the melody on the accordion and have horn backgrounds behind me playing hits mm-hmm. and then uh, during the bridge the horns will take over with uh with the melody and it'll be harmonized or maybe some counterpoint and then the accordion will end up playing fills very cool very cool all right now we're going to talk a bit about the jazz scene here in seattle and kind of what's going on with that yeah, so Max, aren't you recording a CD pretty soon here? There's something on the internet about a live show where you're recording? Of course you would start with that. Uh, yes, me. Um, I do have a show coming up, yes. Um, it's at Egan's Ballard Jam House, January 5th, with my trio, 200 Trio. And we're going to be doing a live album recording with Jim Wilkie, the legendary radio and recording figure. Um, and yeah, all original songs. Cole Schuster on guitar, Greg Feingold on bass. That is one thing that will be happening. Yeah, the Seattle exciting. Jazz scene coming yeah. up. Awesome. Uh, what else is going on? Well, one of my favorite musicians here, Thomas Marriott, is putting together a new group, and it is my understanding that that group will be together for all of 2018, which, as we mentioned earlier, is weird because jazz musicians don't seem to play with the same people that much We're anymore. So flighty. I know it's awful. Um, 
so yeah, that could be cool. Uh, that's happening at Tula's, I believe, towards the end of the month. I think on a Saturday, the last last Friday or Saturday in January. I, I actually can't remember which one, but cool. Sounds like it's yeah, well worth checking out. Should be out. cool. Got a nice young drummer named Dominic playing with him. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I often get asked, uh, "Hey Josh, what's uh, what are cool places to check out jazz in the area?" And uh, there are a lot of jam sessions in town that. You can go to where uh, just lots of uh, working jazz musicians hang out at and are hanging out and playing at. So on Sunday nights, uh, Max runs uh, the Beaver Sessions. <laughs> oh, they're just talking about the Angry Beaver yeah. in right. Greenwood. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Mondays, there's uh, the Capital Jazz, uh, Capital Cider Jazz Jam, um, which I think starts at 930 uh, Something like that, yeah. Yeah, Tuesdays is Owl and Thistle, right? Yeah. What time does that one start? No, uh, the owl the owl jam starts around ten, ten fifteen, ten thirty. Kind of depends on uh, the night and who's there, but you know, yeah. at ten between ten and ten thirty. That's uh-huh. kind of that's the long longest uh, running jazz jam session in Seattle. Also, there's this isn't necessarily a jazz, but there is a, a session on Mondays as well at the Nectar in Fremont called right, Mo Jam. Mo-Jam. It's kind of more of a Mm-hmm. a backbeat uh open-ended backbeat jam kind of thing but definitely worth good mentioning. to mention yeah oh, when... oh wait there's another monday night one <laughs> how many monday night ones are there uh i don't know I, i'm i don't know at least three uh there's the royal room um right jazz jam session uh-huh the salute sessions that yeah, one's actually really sessions. cool i think that's still going isn't it? Yeah. it definitely is and uh it starts at 10 p.m and the house band uh they pick a famous jazz musician That's from right, yeah. a long time ago uh and, and it lasts usually lasts a couple months and the jam just surrounds learning and playing the tunes that that one particular composer did like they did Mingus for a while i think and louis armstrong ellington for a while i think who was that ellington oh right and they did monk ago. too yeah. For a good long while, you can uh, that spend one's a pretty lifetime cool. Playing Ellington songs, right? So many songs. So that's down at the Royal Room. Monday is 10 p.m. Uh, Wednesdays there's a Gypsy Jazz Jam that Victor Horky runs in the U District. Oh, I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. And Thursdays uh, the Euro Pub Jam, also in Capital Cider. Oh, there's also or not at Capital Cider mm-hmm. in Capitol Hill, but not at Capital Cider. It's at the Euro Pub. There's also a, a sort of new Wednesday night thing. It's it's. Not quite a jam session, but people do sit in, so I think it's worth mentioning up at Tim's Tavern. Oh, okay. Is that in Shoreline? No, it's up. It's up, kind of like North Greenwood. It's on. Um, oh, geez. Let's see. If you take Greenwood Avenue North and, and uh, uh, people can Google it. Yeah, and give Tim's Tavern. <laughs> it's like in North Seattle up there. Uh, yeah, Wednesday nights as well. Nice. It starts around nine or ten. What's going on Friday, Saturday? Is there anything, or is everybody out partying? The working nights for musicians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh oh! Also on Thursdays, before mm-hmm. we depart from Thursday, there's uh, Adam Kessler's Barca Hang mm. with I think uh, it's usually Phil Sparks on bass and Adam Kessler on drums, and then a rotating rest of the band, nice. which is either just a horn player or sometimes a quartet. I think. Yeah. And people sit in there. It's not really a session, but people do sit in. So again, I think it's worth mentioning. Cool. Friday and Saturday. Um, pretty light on the jazz uh, on the jam front. I think, think there are any. Yeah. yeah, maybe like some home house independent. Honestly, sessions, probably there are sessions that we just don't know yeah. about. There's so much going on in the city. Very small ones, but yeah, I think that's about it. All right. Well, that's about all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned for new episodes from me and Max. 
And go listen to Miguel Zenon's Typico. It's really, really good. I'm about to.